one point for part of our discussion. <laughs> all right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of I Can Do This All Day. I'm Dan, the part-time Avenger, and with me is Mark, the resident Jedi. Hello there. So we're uh, taking a little bit of deviation from our, our more recent episodes. Um, we are not impressed with many of the advertised Hollywood movies coming out in the month of August, uh, especially Super Pets. Um, not how I want to see Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart. So we've decided to take a little bit of an old school approach to August. Um, we're going to try uh, Retro Rewind. Uh, this may be a one-time thing. This may be something we repeat in many a slow months down the road. But for those of you that have listened a lot, you know that we have a, uh, a long storied history with uh, uh, feature film consumption and we have preferences, many, many preferences. Um, and uh, that's where we're starting today. We decided to start with the 70s, uh, the first real, really digestible, debatable era of movies. Uh, and each one of us picked one to start the day with. And uh, I'm going to defer to my, uh, my esteemed co-host who's been dying to talk about the movie that he picked just to fill us in on what he picked and why he picked it. And then I'll go and then we'll dig in. So the movie that I picked uh, is rooted deeply in my childhood and pretty much my upbringing, but uh, my upbringing was all violence and martial arts and what better movie to pick than the 1972 classic Enter the Dragon. Mark, which one did you pick? Um, first, I have to address the, the violence and martial arts. I, I had no idea that you were such a token. Um, but <laughs> uh, on a completely different approach to, uh, to the 70s, um, I chose my absolute favorite 70s cult classic movie, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, the 1975 classic uh, Tim Curry launched vehicle that uh, I'm excited to talk through today. So let's we're going to break the movies down one by one. We're going to start off with Rocky Horror. And let's kind of just start off with like our origin of everything. Um, Mark, since this is your pick, why don't you kind of tell us as to how familiar you were with this movie and kind of your whole origin story with why you picked it? Okay. So I, I picked it because I have seen this movie, I, I would say probably a hundred times. Like I own it. I love the soundtrack. It is absolutely uh one of my one of my favorite movies it's one of those like if i had to pick movies to be stranded on a desert island with i'd, I'd bring this one and that may shock people because it is a little macabre and a little weird but I, I thought that it represented 70s um cult classic movies i i thought it rose to the top and i want to take a minute to talk about that about the 70s because there were a ton of of really great cult classic movies. And I made a list. 
So I'm just going to read the list and then I'll talk about my origin with Rocky Horror. But you've got Rocky Horror. You've got The Warriors, which is kind of a really creepy, weird cult classic movie. You've got Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. For those of you that don't know, you should know. You've got um, Eraserhead, Harold and Maude, Up in Smoke. Um, and then just a bunch of these like kind of scary, kind of um, campy horror movies like uh, uh, Laser Blast and The Giant Spider Invasion and all these things that would play and now play in theaters at midnight. Um, you know, or, or in long, uh, long, long movie marathons. And, and Rocky Horror is, is no different there. I first watched Rocky Horror um, probably over, it was over the summer of, I think, either, either sophomore to junior or junior to senior year of high school. And I watched it on TV. Because some cable station would play it every Saturday at midnight. We're looking at you, Fox. No, we're looking at like TBS or the sci-fi channel. One of those. One of those that would have an after dark thing. But there was I I found this out later is there was there's a reason behind the midnight showings because they are so amazingly prominent, even in the Chicagoland area. Um, there's, there's a couple different theaters that do, uh, midnight showings of Rocky Horror and you could find them all across the country and there's, um, audience interaction and props and all this crazy stuff that goes on with it. But I first saw it overnight and I remember I, I definitely fell asleep the first time I tried to watch it cause I was just staying up all night and, uh, I, I, I watched it again the next weekend. And eventually I bought it. Like I've had this on, on DVD since I can't remember. And I have the sequel to it too, which is, is terrible, but um, also laughable. Wait, 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 there's a sequel. There is a sequel to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And uh, yeah, it's, it's called shock treatment. It is not good. Um, it, it's like all the trippy parts of Rocky Horror just stretched stretched really big and it was written by the same person who wrote it who uh, also was an actor in it richard o'brien who who plays riffraff um it it was his fever dream but it was originally written as a stage play um which you know uh uh, yeah i i I just is one of the musicals that actually resonates for me as translated to tv you see some musicals translated and they're just terrible this is just amazing i I loved it since the first time i saw it and it it didn't like shock me or throw me off i was just like this is really catchy and i enjoy tim curry already uh from clue and all the other things that he was in uh that i knew about i was just like yeah no problem susan sarandon's great too so it's interesting that you say like you know tim curry specifically because you know where i knew tim curry from home alone was it one or two i think two um and that's i mean i knew him from a lot of other stuff obviously from uh you know it's but uh one of the things that uh, about tim curry is that i was super surprised about his particular role in this movie which brings me to the reason as to why i was cool with watching this because i've never seen this movie or seen the play before um i kind of knew of it but i think i kind of got this and rocky or um 
uh, Little Shop of Horrors and something else kind of commingled. So they all kind of were like, oh, they're all part of this type of weird kind of genre of musical type thing. Don't and- knock Little Shop of Horrors. That is like number two on my favorite movie musical soundtrack list. And my favorite piano bar uh, uh, request song is from that movie. But so you had never seen this. Did you know what you were in for? I When I texted you that this was the movie I picked, I specifically told you, do not watch this with your kids. So we, I didn't watch it with my kids just because they weren't, I mean, they couldn't even watch Hamilton. So I, I was perfectly fine watching this uh, by myself. I didn't know everything about this movie. Um, and so I was, the way that you had, had put it, I was like, well, I mean, how bad could it possibly be? And, and so it's not bad, but it, it certainly is shocking, um, especially if you don't really know what to expect from the movie. And, and, and maybe just in my head, I just thought that uh, a lot of movies from the earlier times, you know, in the 70s and, and even like in the 60s, like how bad could it possibly be? They made a movie about it. So I don't think it's going to be too shocking. But then I started using my brain after the fact that like, oh, yeah, this kind of makes sense because it was pretty much anything goes during the seventies and even during the eighties for movies. So I guess I shouldn't have been too surprised at the content, but um, yeah, first time seeing it was this week. I'd never seen a single clip of it, but I have heard the let's do the time warp again song millions of times. And I will be honest with you. I thought it was the most annoying musical song and it's just because i didn't get it um i didn't really understand what the movie was about i had no idea what the movie was about and you know what i still don't really know what the movie was about (laughs) so it's it's interesting but i totally understand why they have those midnight showings and there's the audience participation and everything and it seems like a lot of fun but uh with that as a controversial cult classic or musical, uh, I totally dug it in the fact that they were super, you know, forthright with everything and they weren't trying to um, have any subtle context or anything. It was like, here it is. It's out there. It might not make a whole lot of sense, but it's out there. You are not going to confuse. Um, you've got a lot of Uh, just sexuality just oozing out of every single scene throughout the entire movie and um, you know it would be interesting to see I I would actually be interested to see uh, the musical play performed just to see what that would be like now because I don't know if you can necessarily do that type of performance now maybe I'm wrong maybe it's it hasn't lost a step in the years but maybe it's just my perception of how society is now I feel like everyone would be a whole lot more sensitive and a whole lot more guarded in the types of content that's being shown for musical play. So Fox did a full remake of this and broadcast it on live TV in October of 2015. Um, They, they did a a modern day reimagining of it, but in, in, it was pretty close um, to to what it originally was they even got tim curry to come back it i'm i'm one of those people like if it's not the original i'm good like i would rather watch tim curry do it 
Tim Curry actually was brought into the movie because this originated as a, as a play in London and Tim Curry was the lead. The whole cast was around Tim Curry. They added um, Barry Bostwick and, and Susan Sarandon to the cast, but originally Tim Curry owned this role in London and it was so big that they got a little bit of money to put it on the, to put it on the big screen. It is, it isn't necessarily that it's not playing now. And there are, there have been a lot more plays where you see drag in them. Um, Oh, right. For sure. But I'm talking about that particular. So like if the one that they did um, in 2015 that you said, was it as, Risque. Same songs, same everything. Really? Okay. Yeah. All yeah. Right. And it was on Maybe Fox. I, just, I, I thought that uh, productions would kind of tiptoe, uh, at least on the grand stage of like movies or, or something like that. So. I think the casting gave them the ability to just jump into it because, you know, they, they didn't have a, a straight person playing a transgender person. They had a, a, a true transgender person playing the, the role and, and owning it. Um, you know, it's, it's, this movie is kind of seen as a, as kind of a, a fuck you to, to the mainstream about it. Right. I mean, that's, that's one of those themes you see a lot in the seventies. It's just like, fuck you, man, I'm doing what I want to do. And this yep. is, this is just how I'm living my life as a sweet transvestite. So I'm, I'm curious as to how, and I'm kind of jumping around like in terms of like the topic and everything. So when I saw that, I was like, Oh, there's no way that they could do that now. And, and I'm, I'm really curious if there's any, um, anyone who's listening or if anyone, if you know of anyone uh, that is trans or anything like that, I would be curious as to if they found that offensive, um, if that were to be performed today using that type of terminology, Um, just because like, I mean, I don't know who knows in terms of like what is offensive, what's not offensive nowadays. It seems like everything is. So even though it was normal and I put that in quotes, perhaps in the seventies, that type of terminology, would that be used today? And what about you, Mark? Would you feel that if you did see that in a, whether it's a play performance or in the movie performance, um, having it be redone in 2022, do you think that number one, it has a place to have that same type of terminology and number two, I don't, maybe I said number one, number two. Um, but the second thing would be like, well, do you feel that it would be offensive and it should it be omitted? So I don't think this movie gets made now without a heavy amount of following in some other medium. Just like in the 70s, I don't think this goes right to movie. This was such a popular play that it got made. And I think that that, that vehicle, right, the, the theater vehicle, definitely moves things along and pushes behind it. Because I think that's where more avant-garde art is more accepted, is in a live theatrical uh, you know, area. That's where it can be more artistic. Uh, people can be more vulnerable. Um, I mean, it, there's there's plays now with entire casts doing it naked. Like there's there's stuff like that that's out there now. And I think that when you dive into theater, it is much less of a standard 
comfortable mental space. Like, oh, I won't see anything that shocks me. You go to the theater to think, to be inspired, to, to look. I mean, unless you're going to Disney musicals, which, hey, those have a great place for themselves. I'm sure that, you know, Finding Nemo the musical is amazing. And The Lion King's been running forever, right? But uh, I, I think that there are, you know, theater productions out there that continue to push the envelope. And that's where art originates. That's where so many, I mean, you mentioned Hamilton earlier. That doesn't hit Broadway unless it's hugely successful somewhere else. And, and, and bringing in that culture, those two cultures and putting them together, right? The, the hip hop culture and, um, you know, presidents uh, or, 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 you know, not presidents, treasurers. Uh, um, so I, I think that there's a lot that goes together with that. Um, and, and I think it could happen today, but it would need momentum. It would need a ton of momentum, whether it be TikTok momentum, YouTube momentum, any of those things. It would need a lot of momentum because you'll notice that, that there aren't a lot of risky movies and there aren't a lot of artistic movies out anymore. I mean, that's just the case. There's, there's, there's very few artistic movies, unless it's coming from somewhere like Netflix or Prime. That's probably where this would end up is with a streaming service not in an actual theater disney owns those rights so i isn't that i thought that that was absolutely hilarious so uh dan and i were looking for places to watch this movie and when you google where rocky horror picture show streams it streams on disney plus but it doesn't stream on disney plus in the u.s it streams on disney plus in the uk for all of our across the pond listeners but I, I think that that's really funny that something like this ended up in that Fox purchase that who knows what happens to it? Who knows what happens to the rights to it? Like it, it got put live on TV before Disney purchased it. And does the mouse silence Dr. Frankenfurter? So they still allow those midnight showings because like Disney, now that they own um, a lot of the Fox properties, that was one of the properties that was excluded from being locked in the vaults or not being able to be um, exhibited in, in some of those like midnight showings. So to keep in um, that whole wave of audience participation and, and things like that, just kind of like that whole tradition, they still allow that. So Disney, well, I kind of, you know, hats off to you. You you still want to keep with tradition for the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is great for the that fandom and for those people that are participating in those uh, those midnight showings, which I hear is like a riot. And so I would like to actually attend one of those uh, one day, but I don't know if the, if Florida is ever going to have one of those. <laughs> as somebody that has gone to one at the Boulevard in in Woodridge, um, who does it every Saturday. Uh, I no. went on Halloween. It was amazing. Really? That's cool. It was amazing. Um, it is everything you wanted. All the props. Like I did research beforehand. I knew where the, the audience participation parts were and they just gave you a bag of props for it. They're like, let's go. Let's have some fun. It was just a good old. It was it was fun. And it was cool to see that movie like bigger than I've ever seen it before with a with an actual sound system. You know, not that the home sound system isn't nice. It was just, it was awesome. So let's dig into, let's dig into the cast really quick. It's a small cast. It's a theater size cast, right? Where we've got, you know, 10 total people that you see on the screen. Um, 
Tim Curry, Dr. Frankenfurter, your thoughts. Like I said, I didn't know what to expect with this movie. And so when I saw like a few um, screenshots of, of the movie and the images as I was like trying to find a, a place to watch it. And I was like, huh. I mean, they're not going to come like right at you with with some of the, the the shocking stuff like, nope, they absolutely do come right at you. And so I was when I was first watching like the first few scenes, I was just like, where's this movie going to go? Because I, I don't quite understand. And then Tim Curry pops in and it's like, holy shit, um, really fantastic job i think he's so he really is just flat out eccentric i don't know if there's any other word to describe it he is just flat out eccentric uh but his the way that he portrays that character and the way he exudes his happiness or sadness or sheer lust i mean you believe it 1000 percent that he would probably do this in his everyday life because he is that believable in terms of his character and the way he portrays it on the screen so tim curry i mean i loved you in it and home alone too as well but um yeah it pretty awesome job with this don't forget congo i never saw congo oh man talk about an early 2000s movie you should see um (laughs) wonder where that could come in handy um yeah no tim curry owns this movie for me and it is one of the reasons i absolutely love tim curry um also clue but the, like absolutely love Tim Curry in this role. It, it showed so much talent that this guy has, right? Choreography, singing, all of the ranges of emotion um, and just a fearlessness that, that totally got it for me. I want to I diverge into something you said, though. Um, at what point did you think this movie was going to go a little off the rails for you? It wasn't the opening and the giant lips? Like, that wasn't it? So the, the opening with the giant lips, the only thing I could think of is, like, they did a really poor job with the veneers on, I think it was the two bottom lower teeth. And I was thinking, like, why wouldn't they just you know see that in post and just be like hey can we reshoot this and kind of fix the veneers so that's the only thing that i could i could see on the screen and i was like fixated on it and where it's like uh veneers Mm. just not in place but um yeah uh, like i was like what the fuck is this like i really don't know what to expect and you know what i was really trying to listen in on the lyrics thinking that there's going to be some type of foreshadowing and like you know what I didn't pick up any of it. I was just like, I still don't know what's going on. And it was I, a I read science fiction double feature. <laughs> Whatever the fuck That's that means. That's what's going on. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it definitely, I guess it had some science fiction in there. It's sure, I, I guess. But um, yeah, I, I was trying to make sense of something that almost doesn't make sense. And so I think I, I appreciate the movie more. And if I were to watch it again or see the uh, see a play version of it, I think I would appreciate it more because of the absurdity of the content. Absurdity is a good, good phrase for this. Speaking of absurdity, you get you get the opening with the mouth, right? You get the, the different kind of jaws to, to quote your poster. Um, and, and then we get into campy as hell dayton ohio and you get to meet uh 
um, Brad Majors, asshole, and uh, and Janet, and you get the whole proposal opening, opening thing. Did, where was t- talk to me about your head here? Because when I first saw it, I was like, well, "This is kind of dumb." I thought it was kind of once again. I was so I'm going from veneers. I have a problem with the veneers. I have a problem with the veneers. I all I think about veneers, veneers, veneers. And then I go into, oh, that's Susan Sarandon. And that's Barry Bostwick. You're like, huh, okay. Remember him from those 90s commercials? Um, but I, I was, once again, I was trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. So I was trying to piece it together, like science fiction double feature, this couple, I, I'm sure something's going to happen with this couple, but it, I couldn't make sense of it. For me, it was just like, I don't know what I've gotten myself into, but I guess I'll wait till the next scene. I'm sure it will all unveil as to what, this must be some type of beautiful master plan. And I, that's what I, that's where I was at in that particular scene. Yeah, no, they, they ran into the cause uh, or they ran into the, yeah, the cause, but not the symptom, right? Uh, in the next scene, um, which I I absolutely have come to love the the Frankenstein place scene where they're just walking through the rain for no reason, just like yeah. for oh they're not running they're slowly walking and prancing through the rain singing. Um, so yeah, I, I, I keep taking me you through your experience because I've seen it so many times that I just love it, and I, I'm I'm really interested in more of just how you've taken it in. Uh, it's I might have to do like another episode of this just because like it there was so much for me to kind of digest and understand because I didn't know what I was getting into to begin with so I think that's that's a, a real important part which I'll also talk about this at the end too is like you kind of should know some type of backstory or what's going to go on because if you don't you might not appreciate it or you might be flat out pissed. Like, why the fuck am I watching this? Are you saying that? Are you saying that you were ambushed into walking, watching the Rocky Horror Picture Show? So I, I wanted to watch this movie because I'd never seen it, and obviously it's such a big thing in, um, you know, the cult classic movie, uh, but also uh, just. I think I want to say it's a part of like pop culture because like you people know of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, even if they haven't seen it. So that's one of the things, like, I feel like I need to watch this because I'm not opposed to it. I don't know why I never watched it. I just knew it was kind of weird and it was not like, you know, it wasn't grenade launchers and M16s where I was like, oh, cool, I want to watch that. So I think that was part of it. Uh, so yeah, I was curious. And so I, I didn't feel ambushed. I, I completely wanted to watch this. It was just... I didn't get it. The, those first few scenes, I was like, I don't know if I should read. So there's a few times I, I kind of rewound and watched the scene again. I was like, all right, I'm trying to make sense of this. Two plus two is not eight. So I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> so the mansion scene, when they get into the mansion and bam, Tim Curry. did they, How many times did you rewind that? Did it completely, did it either suck you in or just make you say, what so so that was my wtf moment where i was like oh okay i think i get it now i think i know what i'm in for for the rest of this movie because it's just such an odd scene and 
like I said, uh, you know, I was wondering if uh, this was going to be subtle. It was anything but subtle. It was just flat out, like right off the bat. And, um, you know, then then my favorite song came on. And, and I say that facetiously. Uh, let's do the time warp again. Can you please explain to me what that song's about? Because I have no fucking clue. It's just a jump to the left. Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you. No. <laughs> it's it, it's it's. Uh... It's in the, it's in the, uh, that part, okay, yeah, perfect, perfect, perfect explanation because yeah, no, right. Yeah. There's just stumble through it. it. It's, it's still trying to talk to the sci-fi nature of the movie because eventually we'll, spoiler alert, we find out that they're from another dimension or another well, planet. Was there but a time warp? I, you don't know. Where did all these people come from? We don't know. Oh man. It's the mystery. But you know what? It's catchy. It's freeing. Let's all have a good time in pelvic thrust all over this mansion. <laughs> Let's go. I'm perfectly fine with that. As a matter of fact, I pelvic thrust all around my house for no apparent reason whatsoever. I'm sure your wife hates that shit. Uh, um, she hates it because my kids are starting <laughs> to imitate it. So that's that's definitely a concern all parents have. All the inappropriate things that you do, your kids start to mimic them. Uh, Mine hasn't I'm, gotten there yet, but I'm terrified too. Um, so let's we got to the mansion. Let's talk about the cast at the mansion. So you've got Richard O'Brien as Riff Raff, who is already a tortured artist, and he goes into the hunchback stuff, and I'm I'm just okay. To- totally um, he, made me think he wrote of, uh, the whole thing right all of he, this is him all i can think about for for richard o'brien was like he should have been in scary movie 2 um and i'm assuming scary movie 2 it was it a him. joke about him yes okay that's what yes. i thought use my strong hand um <laughs> and then patricia quinn as magenta and columbia as uh I, I they call her a groupie in the billing. I, I don't know Eddie's Eddie's uh, girlfriend, but but um, you know uh, played by uh, uh, Nell Campbell. But whereas in the first scene you see these cast members who you are aware of, and you've, you're like, holy shit, is that Susan Sarandon? Yeah. Um, you know those people went on to to notable like. Um, notable next steps in their career you've got three people who i don't want to i don't want to discount right but but i mean um uh, none of them really went on to anything anything big couldn't tell you who anyone else was in that movie besides meatloaf and then of course tim curry susan saran and barry boswick that's it yeah, no, other than other than uh, Richard O'Brien doing a voice in Phineas and Ferb. Yes, that voice, for those of you who know who Phineas and Ferb is, um, I, he has not done much. He, none of them have, uh, other than they were all three in the sequel. The top three build names that we talked about, uh, uh, not in the sequel. These three, they, they got to do it. And boy, do I wish they didn't. Um, Was that so, bad, huh? I'll have to. I don't even think it's streaming anywhere, but I have it on DVD. Is not good. Um, but yeah, I thought it was. I thought that was hilarious. I, I I was a big fan of them in those roles, but I can't see them anywhere else. I thought they, you know, that's one of the things where I had to put my 
my um, appreciation of the arts had on. And it was one of those things where like, I've seen plenty of plays and musicals. And so I appreciate the craft. And so I, I can tell that, um, you know, there's a lot of effort that's being put into the, the costumes and the performance. The only thing that you lose obviously with the movie is that it's voice dub. So they, they, they do the, uh, the voice and post-production. So that's where you kind of lose a little bit of the performance, which I think, uh, that's why I prefer stage plays and, you know, uh, musicals on stage because of that fact, because you, you lose a little bit of that performance and you see like, huh, that voice doesn't necessarily match with that action that they're doing right there. But yeah, I mean, when you go into that, that song, everyone's performing, putting, you know, the, putting on their best performance um, it was just one of those things where like I, I had that preconceived notion of like, I hate this song. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know. Now watching the movie, I have no idea what this plot is about. And I'm trying to connect the dots and I really shouldn't because it doesn't fucking matter. So um, I, I was like, okay, all right. I, I don't hate it. But at this particular point in the movie, I'm just like, obviously I'm not in love with it. So uh, I think, you know, at that point in the movie where I'm watching, it's like, I think I rather would have seen this as a play as opposed to the movie. Okay. Okay. And the meatloaf cameo, uh, who, who did play this in the theater meatloaf was another theater bring along, um, which is, which launched his career. Yeah. Meatloaf. I mean, when I, because there's that nostalgia factor there, like, oh, I know him, just like I know Tim Curry and Susan Saran and Barry Boswick. There's the like, oh, cool. I am kind of into it right now because I know that guy. I know him. So uh, I, I was at least a little bit energized when I saw him uh, performing. And, you know, the guy can perform. I mean, that's like, without a doubt, uh, in his music career on stage uh, and obviously in this movie as well too the guy performs and he puts his heart into every single thing that he does so I, I was I was down with it so that's that's where I had a little bit of a turn to where it's like oh all right I can get into this because there's some familiarity there and I'm starting to appreciate the performances of the people that I know and so it started to turn the tide a little bit for me okay after Meatloaf is where this movie starts to get interesting. Interesting is putting it lightly. I, I mean, I, I mean, you know, in just seven days, uh, uh, they can they can make you a man, uh, and they did. Peter Hinwood, um, I would just like to say that dude is fucking ripped and shredded more than shredded wheat like that is it's ridiculous i was like where did you know like can we just clone him and throw him into a marvel movie because that's like a superhero physique and it's just flat out ridiculous um yeah the movie gets a little bit fucking weird there and i'm just thinking to myself like (laughs) i mean i just find um just absurdity, sexuality, and um, vulgarity, just funny in, in any facet. And so I'm just like, okay, 
if I if I had popcorn, I'd be popping it right now just because of the fact that it's like, okay, well, this is going to be a weird turn, and I want to see where this goes. So yeah, I, I was like, now I'm uh, like I'm I'm through through the roller coaster. I'm like, ooh, it, it's it's on the upswing right now. So like I'm I'm having a good time on this ride. And talk about rides. Um, Peter Hinwood got a lot of rides uh, uh, throughout this section of the film, and I think this is like where part of the messaging of the film comes out and it's just like eh, whoever we'll Dude, figure it whoever out. whenever however and um yeah so that's a, that was one of the things that was very interesting to me like i was actually pretty shocked when it came to um tim curry's character frank frankenfurter dr frankenfurter uh goes into the separate bedrooms of janet and brad and they're just like, oh, we can't. Eh. Okay, let's go ahead and do it. <laughs> it's like, and that's exactly what they say in both rooms, which was amazing. Yeah, like the joke and just the the freedom, yeah. uh, um, you know, definitely speaks there. But no, the the on spot campiness of the dialogue and Tim Curry making it work. I don't think that dialogue works without Tim Curry. It, it definitely was performed to a T. And you know what? To be quite honest with you, um, I could understand why some parents would not want their uh, teens to watch this movie because what he says right there in those scenes makes perfect sense. Like, why deny yourself pleasure? Like, just go ahead. If it feels good, just go ahead and do it. And so I could see why they're, you know, like uh, in the seventies, I would imagine there would be a little bit of like upheaval of like, you're not going to see that with, with your friends tonight. Like, it's like, yeah. Is it bad that, is it bad that I was encouraged to watch this movie when I asked what it was? No, I don't. At that age, it's awesome. I think that's pretty awesome because I got told, Oh yeah, no, I saw this at a drive-in with a priest once. Yeah, you, 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 it's, it's interesting. And I got told nothing about it. So then the next conversation the next day was, yeah, huh? <laughs> and you're, and you automatically like liked it when you first saw it. I, it, it's the, I, it, I don't know if I liked it the way I like it now. I was just like, what did I just watch? I guess I have to watch it again. Okay. All right. That, Cause that's exactly how I like, I have no idea what the fuck I was watching. Even at the very end, I was like, I don't, I, I'm, I'm trying to like put things together to make a coherent thought as to what this movie was about. So if someone were to ask me about it, I could tell them without <laughs> a hitch, but no, I still can't do that. I, I can't. And, and, and you know what, if I did explain it, to the T as to what actually happened, they'd be like, that doesn't make any sense. Did you actually tell me what actually happened in the movie? And the answer would be yes. And I still wouldn't be able to make sense of it. It's a love story, Dan. It is a love story. Science Everybody getting feature. some love. Everybody's got a double feature. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of featuring going on, but uh, the, for me, it's the soundtrack that just makes me love it now. Like this is uh, like, this is a downloaded saved thing on Spotify for me. It's great. I listened to it this morning because I was excited we were going to talk about this. I was like doing doing uh doing some 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 cleaning in my kitchen and loading the dishwasher before the little guy got up and my wife came down. She's like, really? And I was like, oh, we're totally podcasting about this later. And she was like, 
I'm surprised it took this long. Um, funny. Does so your wife like it as much as you do? She went to the midnight showing with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she 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 enjoys it. She enjoys it just as much. Um. So I I mean the rest of the movie goes off with you know the all of a sudden you meet the professor in a wheelchair who happens to be Eddie's like benefactor and Eddie's in a coffin randomly him right Scott I I just there's cannibalism in this movie is everything and what I didn't understand in that scene is that uh so Janet runs to Rocky after um they they find out that they're eating him and you know Eddie's in the coffin and then Rocky's just sitting there smiling like as if did did they realize like were they filming and did the actor just be like ah yeah nice nice hug from Susan Sarandon or did like was that part of his character in it to where it's like oh he's just that simple-minded that he's just oh he was simple-minded for sure but I mean it could have been a little bit of both let's be honest yeah. Um, maybe you should rewatch it uh, because I'm sure you could see. Um, I rewatched the last half of the movie twice because I didn't understand what the fuck was going on. I was like, I must have missed something. Hold on. Oh, Let man. me rewind. And no, I didn't miss anything. I, I rewound like a few different scenes multiple times. It was like, what? Where? Okay. All right. I guess. Okay. Never mind. No, it can't be it. Let me, re- let me watch it again. It's like, okay, whatever. So yeah, I, I, I've seen the movie. I would, would like to say that I've seen the movie. <laughs> I love it. I could not have asked for a better just overall feedback and response from this. I'm excited <laughs> to continue doing these rewinds just for this reason. So there's there's two more scenes in the movie that stick out to me, right? There's the the everybody is in stockings review at the end, which I agree. I'm like, he dressed them all up like I don't know what he's got control of them now that's science fiction because he's got mind control and can make them do the things and they all admit to the weird shit yeah, that they yeah. did and like, it's like it's like confession but in stockings but they're okay with it that's another thing too that there like is a lot of confess- acceptance in this movie yeah that's that's one of the things that I found very interesting and I was like oh wow okay that's kind of cool even though none of this shit makes sense none of it makes sense but i like the fact that it was this doesn't make sense but it'll still be go be coherent if that makes sense which doesn't but it does so that's kind of what my my whole metaphor for this movie is is like you know it it makes sense but it doesn't but it actually does and and i agree and it gives it gives closure to uh brad and janet's engagement to uh to rocky's life to all the rest of these characters and to Frankenfurter. And, and this, it, I, I know it doesn't make a ton of sense, but this has to be one of my favorite death scenes or assumed death scenes in any movie because Tim Curry just goes at it and is just so emotional and crying and why? And then, you, ah, and then, you know, they tell him that they're they're from another planet and they're now doing robot things. I was I think I was more upset and sad about Rocky's death. So Rocky steroided up, just decides to be like, no, fuck it. 
until <laughs> that he just starts climbing a tower for no fucking reason and he's immune to the the laser rays but he's not immune to taking a little bit of a dive into a swimming pool so i was just like you know what that's some bullshit right there i'm pissed off because if that guy is like some roided out freak that, that has no problem like and is immune to like lasers coming from a a gardening tool that's what it looked like to me then you know what he should not be afraid of water but but did he take swim lessons it's true true or did he just get a cramp because of all those muscles yeah man those abs could have just swam for the entire body itself so hey no no muscular people aren't buoyant fat people are learn from me um so yeah that's the message on rocky Mm. Could have eaten some carbs, bud. <laughs> so I, I got to ask uh, because I, I'm, I'm obviously smitten with this movie and have been for a very long time. Can you do this all day? I thought that it was a very easy answer, but I don't know. And for that reason alone, um, I would say that I can't do this movie all day. So here's the thing. I would be totally up for, like I said, I would actually go out and try to see this movie as a play. Um, or this mo- this this performance as a play. Uh, I would watch the movie again at a midnight showing at a theater. Because I think ambiance and environment is a lot when it comes to this type of of movie and how much you can enjoy it or how much you can also not enjoy it as well too. So watching in the privacy of my own home by myself, I might not like it as much, but I might really like what people will have to say at certain parts of the movie. If they're throwing fucking hot dogs at the screen, or if they say, go buy an umbrella, bitch, you know, something like that. You know, I can totally understand why that would make a movie and very much like, um, that movie with Tommy Wiseau, the, I think it's The Room, where people like just chime in like in random parts of the movie and everyone laughs. I think this is one of those movies that would benefit me as a viewer to find it more entertaining. Because really it's like the audience that is adding to that ambiance and the overall enjoyment of everything. So because of the fact that I don't know if I would watch the movie I don't, I, I have to say that I can't do this all day. Not that I hate it. It's not one of those, I hate it. I can't do this all day, but um, yeah. It, it's but you would watch things. it again. Yeah, I would. I would. Okay. And, and okay. I would be, but, 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 but I would have to be in a, like one of those midnight showings. It would need to be some theatrics around it. So you can do this some days. I can do it some days, but you know what? Like, I'm not going to be like, you know what? I'm going to pop this movie on, put on some popcorn and just enjoy. Like, no, I don't think I will because I don't think I could. It's a drinking gay movie. It's not a, I just want to absorb it movie. It it might be like one of those, I'm so depressed. I might watch this movie by myself. I think that's, that would be like one of those things that I would. It is a joyous film. The soundtrack, listen to the soundtrack Uh, um, because it's definitely, it's definitely rock outable too. So I think that's a great thing that we can do for the love of our podcast is find a way to send you um, to a Rocky Horror Midnight Showing 
um, just by quick Google, it doesn't seem like there's one in, in the Orlando or, or Southern Florida area until around November or closer to Halloween. But I think that we need to make this happen because I think there is an epilogue to this tale and I'm really all about it. I'm Maybe. excited. Maybe we'll see. But what about you? Give me a little bit more context. I think I know the answer, but Mark. Oh, I do. I do do this movie all day. I love this movie. Yeah, no, this is there's a reason I picked it is because I have such an appreciation for it. And it has kind of fallen out of the zeitgeist, not completely, but the number of midnight showings that are going on aren't out there as much. It was one of those things put on hold by COVID. So getting all those cast people back together is another thing like. I, I wish I was a strong enough person to do that, but I'm not. I don't have any like performing ability and I'm not, you know, that that get up in front of people thing. I did it once um, and I'm good. Uh, um, so uh, it, it's it's yeah, I, I, I love this. I would go to any uh, showing of this movie um, for sure. And it's been a minute since I've watched it, but I've definitely um, put the soundtrack together and and like uh, no I've, I've definitely got like a musicals playlist in my spotify somewhere and it is chocked full of rocky horror chocked full so well, it was a good long road trip soundtrack too back when i used to drive for work okay so i will say and i want to piggyback off of what i had said um earlier so, because i can't do this all day is because of the music so not that the music and the performances are bad, but because I, me as a viewer, has nothing to do with the, <laughs> with the movie itself, but me as a viewer, I just really had a hard time having that connection from the art performance to the movie aspect of it, to the lyrics, to the logistics of everything. So when I have to work that hard to enjoy something, then... You know, that's it's tough. But um, now that I have a better understanding of it, I know that I could probably enjoy it a little bit more. No, we've got to send we've got to send you and your wife to a midnight show. Did your wife watch this with you at all? She didn't. No. And I, oh, she doesn't oh, really have oh. an interest in it either. You got to get her. We're getting her to a midnight showing. We're doing it for sure. For sure. It'll be the first budget we spend uh, from the <laughs> podcast account is to pay your wife to go. Sounds What's her hourly good. rate? Let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. All right. Well, you know what? We're going to take a quick hiatus and we're going to do a double feature of the 70s and we will be back with Enter the Dragon. All right, everyone. So we're back from our hiatus. We are going into our double feature of our retro rewinds. We just got done talking about Rocky Horror, but now Enter the Dragon is up next with the legendary Bruce Lee. And Mark, this is the pick that I had because this was very heavily in my rotation during childhood and um, I was a huge and still am a very huge Bruce Lee fan and a big fan of the martial arts. And I wanted to know, have you ever seen this movie before watching this for the, for the podcast? I had never seen this movie. I thought I had, but I guess I'd seen um, like the, the tower of death or something. The one where he fights, Chuck Norris and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, it was not this movie. Okay. Uh, I was not. I had no idea what this what this 
Yeah. Okay. I didn't know until to until um, yesterday, and we have things to talk about, Dan. Okay. Many things. So, what what are your thoughts on martial arts movies as a whole? It's not that I'm not a fan of martial arts movies. I like action movies in general. I don't necessarily consider martial arts versus action to be like a whole separate category. Really? I think that it's so much in like the modern action movie. There's martial arts in it, right? Like the matrix and the John wick movies and basically anything Keanu Reeves does. Um, Those, those are the exceptions to the rule, by the way. (laughs) Well, those are the ones that I watch. So maybe that's, Maybe, well, I mean, no, you've got Transporter and all the ones with that grumpy Englishman um, who will not be named. Uh, you know, there's there's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of movies with some martial arts and some fighting in them. So there is, you know, um, there are there's a pretty distinct line between martial arts movies and action movies. Now, action movies may have martial arts in them, but not all action movies do. Uh, and so. Also, another thing, too, is if it has martial arts in it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's an action movie. So Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is is a perfect example. And I'm not sure if that won an Oscar for best movie. Um, I know it was it won an Oscar and it, it yeah. was an action movie, wasn't it? No, they were running up poles with swords. How's that not an action movie? It, it was not an action movie with the Green so, Destiny, bro. Green yeah. Destiny. Shout out not, to the, not to the, the trivia crew. Not the case, but um, yeah, so it's, it's interesting that you say that, and, and I, I totally understand, and you bring up some good examples as to why an action movie would be a martial arts movie, but you got John Wick, which is heavy with gunplay, um, you know, you've got, you know, very, almost every Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie had very, very little martial arts in it whatsoever, it was more of like haymakers, looping punches, and everything like that, but um, yeah. You know, there's there's a few that that are and then there's a few that aren't. But me personally, I feel that there's a very distinct difference between action and martial arts. So uh, this is one of those movies where it is like all martial arts. There's no gunplay in this unless you count the guys uh, bringing the Red Rider rifles onto the helicopter at the end of the movie. Uh, that's that's the closest thing to, to gunplay in the movie. Yeah, but they point out the fact in the movie that if you just had a gun, this wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. But no guns allowed on the island, man. It's like rules. This movie is to guns what Seinfeld is to cell phones. There would be no problems. (laughs) Keep in mind, too, that with those types of rules... Uh, and very much like, I mean, this can go just like with even for Avengers, you know, if Thanos could just use the Infinity Stones anytime that he wanted, no problem. He'd wipe everyone just completely off the, the planet. But they came up with that rule where he needed to clench his fist in order for the stones to activate. So I don't see this being an issue where it's like the guy doesn't allow guns on his island. Everyone's being shipped in anyways and um security's tight so i get it but we go go ahead you see it looks like you have some no no i'll ask later but it's a question okay. that i have there's there's right, so, so many questions 
about this, but you go, go. Yeah. So I just want to do a quick overview on the characters and let's, I want to get your opinions on them and, and then we'll kind of talk about like the notable moments of the movie. Uh, but Roper played by John Saxon, the man with a gambling problem. What was your initial thought when you saw him on the golf course in that sharp red turtleneck? I, I was like, okay, so they got the token white guy in it. Got it. Like, seriously, it seemed like some sort of um, uh, just 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 stereotyped character. Many characters in this movie seemed very stereotyped to me. Uh, maybe maybe I just don't have a love for I don't know. I don't know, because then we could move on to the next character you're going to ask me about. So Jim Kelly is Williams. Are you going to say token again? Uh, bro, so token that they played the shaft music in all of his scenes. Okay. Bolo as Bolo. <laughs> it, so which one's Bolo? The bodybuilder. Um, oh, the guy from Bloodsport. Yeah. That's all I was thinking the whole movie. It's, yeah. It's the guy from Bloodsport. Guy is like not aged. He still kind of looks the same. No, guy. he like, has he, not at all. He didn't age from 1975 until whenever Bloodsport came out. He yeah. looked better in Bloodsport. I don't know how that's possible. He didn't really have many speaking lines in the he film. He never does in any movies. Yeah, no. I, I, I imagined him with like, a Mike Tyson Asian accent, but very happy. I would like to talk about, like, I would, I would love to hear him, hear his actual voice and it be just totally out of place. Um, <laughs> but no, I, 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 I got the backstory with, 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 and I don't want to, I don't want to dismiss Saxon and Kelly. I, I appreciate the fact that they gave a backstory to him and gave them some level of connection. Um, I almost would have liked to seen a war scene where they introduce him. Not as, ah, I'll bet you 50 bucks on this. Ah, $5 here. Ah. Like, I don't know where that stereotype was coming from. And and from a token perspective, I, I, I'm trying to like, I don't know. What, just like, ah, I'm American. I like to bet on things. Let's play golf. Woo, turtleneck. Look at all my Samsonite. I, I don't see how that's a stereotype i don't understand where you're coming from with the, with the stereotype i don't know i i i i, I think that there, I, I didn't i didn't i thought all of the characters were kind of this facsimile of reality characters right i thought that it was campy to the campiest level so i i can I can appreciate your opinion on that, but you have to remember that a lot of those movies in the seventies was complete, exactly token of like, you know, even for, um, they have the whole genre of movies of black exploitation films called black exploitation films, Jim Kelly being in uh, some of the martial arts ones. And this is what kicked him off into some of those martial arts movies, which was heralded and a, and applauded by a lot of African-Americans in cinema because like, Hey, we got a brother now that's kicking ass in movies. 
which is pretty awesome. So it, it's one of those, you know, double-sided things where black exploitation is, you know, they're being exploited for their particular um, backgrounds, geographical places where they're from and things like that. It's just for him though. So I found it very interesting that they kind of, I never viewed it as stereotypes, but just flat out, just how people are viewed in terms of racism. So keep in mind. Oh, it was a racist movie. Yeah. Not, not like a blatant rate that, that, what I just said can be viewed in a lot of different ways in our current climate. It definitely was a stereotyped movie in that even some of the dubbing, like my wife asked me if the movie was originally filmed in English because the opening scenes, especially with the, the Shaolin guy, the hairiest Shaolin monk I've ever seen. Maybe that's just because I'm used to Kung Fu, the legend continues, where everybody's just, right, where I'm used to bald Shaolin guys. Um, but in general, like, I, I, I was like, it's, it's not dubbed, but it is dubbed. But if their mouths aren't moving in different words. So, the, well, if you go back and watch like a bunch of 70s movies, a lot of them are like that. There was no, everything was done uh, in post. So they would say their lines in the movie and then they would have to go back and dub their lines for pretty much everything. And that's how like a lot of Hollywood movies were. Uh, So that's one of the things. Now, for some of the Asian actors, um, it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, we're going to get someone else to dub this completely. They're saying the words, but they had, I believe if I'm not mistaken for um, Han's character, he was dubbed completely. I don't believe that was his actual voice, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. I could be mistaken. But uh, Shaolin guy, I, I don't know what his, his uh, Bruce Lee's master in that. Uh, I don't know if that was his actual voice or not. I would venture to say that mm-hmm. it wouldn't be because it was more common. So with that being, so to, to give a little bit background uh, for you and, and the listeners for this movie, that is the very first co-production of a Hong Kong studio in Hollywood. So there was a lot of apprehension between Bruce Lee and also the Hong Kong side with going into the Hollywood side of like, oh, oh are they going to be controlling things? And, and Bruce Lee was actually kind of tentative and he was nervous to show up on set some of the days because he felt that the movie was being taken in direction that it shouldn't have been taken. I have, I have questions about that because I I had to dig deeper into this movie because there are certain things that I was just like, what producer was was running this movie? Please and I Robert looked at Klaus? no, no. Um, I, I looked Freddie at Freddie Weintraub and Robert Klaus, I believe. I looked at the list of producers and they all were like, all they did was Bruce Lee movies, like that was their thing. Um, so I, I, I thought that that was interesting to me. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, Fred, Fred Weintraub and Paul Heller, but all they did was enter the dragon and, 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 and things like, like they did those, those movies, they did the, the Bruce Lee movies and then not much else that I could find. The one thing that really I thought was 
ironic and told me a lot about the screenplay was that the screenwriter used for this this uh, uh, production was the same guy who wrote Flash Gordon, the 80s Flash Gordon, with his hair parted down the middle. Um, so I was like, okay, maybe this was meant to be a little campy. Because there wasn't like a time in the movie where I took it as serious. It was like a Roger Moore Bond movie for me. Almost like a direct copy of a Roger Moore Bond movie to me, including the mirror scene, which I had to Google because Man with the Golden Gun came out the year before that. This came out in 1975? Two. 72. Okay. So it came out before Man with the Golden Gun. I'm sorry. 1973. Bruce Lee died in 1970. Actually, no, he died in 1973. But um, yeah, 73 that came out because he died before the movie came out. Yeah, but the the mirror scene that was copied in Man with the Golden Gun, a lot of the the things that were done in in some of the Bond movies, like Doctor No's Island, like oh this guy's got an island just like Doctor No. I thought it was very like, are they trying to be campy with all of the Bondisms that they're Wait, doing? So that stuff came out before this movie. So this movie came out. You said nineteen seventy two or seventy three. Seventy three. Doctor No came out in nineteen sixty two. Um, which is where you get the 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 private island thing from, mm-hmm. right? With all the people and the 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 stroking of the cat, right? That was that was or no stroking of the cat was Blofeld, but that was all in um like the the Sean Connery Bond movies. Sean Connery was done with Bond movies, um, uh, um in in the early seventies. Okay. Well, he no, he did another one. He came back eventually, yeah, but came back his like main <laughs> his main uh, uh, run was done in in nineteen sixty seven, and in the seventies is when um is when uh, Roger Moore Roger Moore came in, and I thought that Bruce Lee was playing Asian Roger Moore, but instead of a gun, he used martial arts. Like so, that's the, that's the that's that's the feeling I got from it. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. It just seemed like in an Asian Bond movie, which there's nothing wrong with that. This is the first one. It's very. I, I I take a look at it, and this is just an outsider's perspective, being the first time I've seen the movie and the first I've done a, a considerable amount of research on this movie. I look at this as like a 70s Black Panther movie. Like what Black Panther meant to the African American community in 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 you know recently as their first full on the whole top down hero scene in that way. That's the way I look at Bruce Lee's T'Challa essentially. So I, I, I understand the, the the standing and the and the piece. I, I just thought it was thought it was campy and i didn't like that it, they started out by beating up the fat asian guy i was not happy with that so it, it's interesting so that the the fat asian guy which he doesn't even look fat in that he just doesn't look as cut well, you in. put bruce cut lee you put constantly chest flesting bruce lee in front of anybody and they're gonna look like a pudgy little bastard so but man i was like why is he beating up the fat guy so that's uh sammo hung who's a 
very he was in the a tv show during the 90s called martial law but he was actually a very well-renowned stuntman um worked a lot with jackie chan did a few movies with him as well too but very highly respected very great with um martial arts and stunt work and uh yeah he was i think that was very early on in his career that he fought um or well was in that movie to fight Bruce Lee. So it was kind of interesting to show, but that's also another thing too, that I thought, uh, and Bruce Lee was very heavy into his whole philosophy of things as well, to where you would expect the bigger guy to win. And maybe, you know, you might view him as like, oh, that guy's fat compared to him. Like, well, yeah, Bruce Lee was, I think maybe 125 pounds um, soaking wet at that time. He wasn't, he wasn't, he was physically like a specimen in terms of looks, but obviously his health wasn't exactly in the best spot either. So uh, it's very interesting to have him in comparison to anyone else. And I thought they did a pretty good job with like the camera work and making him still an opposing force just by his aura and his presentation on the screen. But um, yeah, one of those things about Bruce Lee in all of his 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 workings with movies but also in his own script writing and and treatments and everything uh he was very big into philosophy and i'm assuming the movie that you saw was the regular theatrical cut is that correct it was the one that is on apple tv okay that i rented from apple tv so there is another version of that movie uh, that came out that was re-released I think I want to say it was like 25 years after the fact and it had a few more scenes with Bruce's philosophy um, injected into the movie because those scenes were originally cut so it gets a little bit campy at times wait wait I think I saw that version because it was it the one where he holds his hand up and it hits all by itself because that literally somebody in my household laughed out loud at that scene in the timing thinking this has to be them telling jokes or trying to so be was funny. he talking to his master at the he time he was he was talking okay, to his so master. then you did watch that and so like in the hall of mirrors as well too he hears like a voice like his master's voice yeah no you okay. use the force luke that yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that piece I, so, I literally wrote that down i'm like is so that's that not Obi-Wan? that wasn't part of the theatrical release. Um, I get it, and you know I'm a big Bruce Lee fan, so I kind of appreciate him. If I could get more Bruce Lee, I don't care if it's so. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You're telling me I watched the special editions, the Star Wars special editions of Enter the Dragon. You watched, yes, exactly that. If you can see it. Oh, no, you can't see no, it. No, no, it, it thinks that's... The yeah, there you go. There edition. you go. So I watched with all the extra garbage in it, like like uh, like Han Solo walking behind Slim Jabba the Hutt. I watched those scenes included. So maybe it was a little extra campy. Maybe that's why my opinion's a little turned. The, but the whole, it hits by itself. The only additions were... Uh, some of those scenes where it's him talking to his master at the beginning um, and then it was that that voice coming from the heavens in the hall of mirrors which I, I thought was kind of cheesy um, and I want to say I think that's it there's only like a few of those I have those a question scenes. about a specific scene was the um, get emotional to do damage scene 
in the original cut or or in the special edition? Because I yeah. call it the emotional damage scene. Get emotional to do damage. Here's like, something about um, doing damage is emotional, or you get I get emotional to do damage. I just in my head all I heard was emotional damage. So you're talking it, about when he's teaching the kid. When he's talking, it was after they found out about the island thing. Yeah, maybe when he's teaching the kid. Yeah, yeah. So that was actually in the theatrical release. The emotional damage piece. I get it. I love it. So, yeah, that was that was a part of it. So he's and that was a big thing for um, I believe he fought to keep that in the movie because studio execs just wanted that shit out there because they just thought it was like hey let's just get to the the fights and everything so he was he was a pretty deep guy and actually uh for for what you thought was the movie that you were going to watch game of death um the movie that you probably aware of when he's in the yellow tracksuit that is not even really his concept of a movie so they re-released a 30 minute um redo almost like a reimagining of that movie to his specs as to what he originally planned, which is nothing like what was released in the movie in like 1978 or whatever it was. Cause that movie came out like well after his death and it was like cheese ball horse shit. I love Except, that movie by the way. Well, you, I used to love so much that movie more than too. this one. I used to love that movie too. And then I realized that like, Oh wait, no, I didn't really like it. I liked the last five minutes that Bruce Lee was in it. And that was pretty much it. Okay. So, but um, yeah. If you go back and watch that movie, you'll probably think like, "Oh my god, this movie is the biggest pile of shit ever." I have it on DVD somewhere. I'll have to watch it. And they use his actual footage of his funeral in that movie. Like, what the fuck? It's like they so. Do? Crazy. That's his his actual funeral. I didn't. I, I I haven't watched it in a decade, so I yeah, don't. Remember you probably it. haven't watched it. That's what it is. I I just watched the there's the fight scene parts of it. Okay, maybe I've watched the the one that was actually I don't know I'll have to I'll have to check, I'll have to see. So, but no, I'm I'm uh, there's there's some things in this movie that just it just seemed really campy to me. I, I will give one thing also to Jim Kelly is when they introduce him and you see him running across the street, the high heels that man ran in, wow, wow, forge, my friend, that, that guy's got style, man. Uh, R.I.P. Jim Kelly. Um, <laughs> But no, one of the things I wanted to talk about him really quick and the fact that like there was that um, and, and, you know, this was one of the big things is you know, for for the scene, Williams and racism. So he's just being a normal guy. He's going to the freaking airport walking and he gets pulled over by cops and harassed. And that like, scene could be in a movie today. Yeah, that could very it, it still resonates. I thought that that scene one the, the why are you walking and the whole beat up the cops and took the cop car thing i was like okay this is funny this this yeah. has to like this is just over the top like yeah um but no i agree i think that i i don't think that he was token in a bad way right token in a disrespectful way um he just what had had very much i think you explained it very well with the he he had a, an air of black exploitation where they put the 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 the, sev- the strong 70s funk music behind him he had a theme song in yeah. this movie and he and that was the thing though too like there's a difference between you've got like the token black characters in movies now where they're just in it and it, it's just like 
wow, could you put a little bit more effort into at least making it, you know, somewhat plausible that there's a reason for them to be in this movie. Whereas he is a main character. So think about it in terms of a Hollywood movie, you've got a Chinese lead. You've got an African-American co-starring along with, you know, you got John Saxon in there, but it's, it's primarily like a big Asian cast or minority cast. And it's still like had like a line around the block during its theatrical run. Which I can crazy. think of a movie in the nineties that meets up to that level. And Mortal Kombat. It didn't have lines around the block. It was Kombat. super popular the first time it came out. It was popular. The first theatrical release of Mortal Kombat made a ton of money. Let's just put it on the record that Mark just compared Enter the Dragon to Mortal Kombat, which, by the way, I like that movie, but come it, on, man. It, act, I, wanted, I thought Goro was going to show up in this movie, Dan. I'm not kidding. Before they, but look, early in the movie, in my notes, I'm like, is Goro going to be on this island? And then he turned from Shaolin tournament fighter Wow, that was that was part of Mortal Kombat. Um, to Super Spy, but he's a Super Spy who turned down booze. What's going on here? The guy has, you know, he's still a Shaolin monk, so that's one of the things. Is uh, which I don't even know if Shaolin monks can not drink. You're supposed to have your head shaved for a Shaolin monk, man. I don't know. I don't know. That's still that's not a thing, by the way. They can drink. Ask David Carradine. Oh, R.I.P. Oh. oh man so david carried i won't even talk about him just because that so that movie was based or i'm sorry that show the concept of it was practically stolen from bruce lee so he was, it was supposed mortal combat well yeah yeah but that's they did that like knowingly so they they ripped off characters but this this mirrors scene i will say like if, if you've seen man with the golden gun it's been some time. They it's it's almost a copy. Like they took it into a Bond movie. I don't know if it was written beforehand or not, but I was like, oh, this is in a Bond movie. This is ripped off. And then I watched it. I was like, it is not ripped off. The 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 in a volcano working in the mountain on the island thing is from Dr. No. The the petting the cat is absolutely from a Bond movie. Even the fake hands is from a Bond movie. But the 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 mirrors scene was original, and then the Bond movie stole it. Um, yeah, I was going to say like, that, was, that this... was like one of the biggest things for that. They were trying to figure out logistically, and so they also did. Um, and I wouldn't say stole it, but they did the same thing in the second John Wick, or no, third John Wick, uh, where they had like well, a that's an homage. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of homage, do you think Squid Game was an homage to this? In that some of the people early in this movie just got fucking murdered. I don't know. I don't know. I never really. I never put the two on the same same thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, Can't say that I did. No, I don't think so. Can we dig into the sister thing? Yeah. Yeah. So here's so uh, before you go on your thoughts on the sister thing. So I put that as a notable moment because prior 
to that movie in that time i don't think i really saw a female kick ass and granted she was fighting off people that were trying to rape her but she was like straight up schooling and oh she was out of those guys yeah no there's there's no there's no comparison her now except maybe what's her name michelle michelle yo michelle yo i think who was in every martial arts movie there is in this time frame but she was amazing in that scene the scene was great no complaints in the scene how does he not know his sister died well he was at the temple i don't know it was three years ago i don't know man you just go with it that's a freaking movie people and by the way too people aren't always connected to their siblings. I can speak to that from a personal experience as well, too. So it's like, yeah, you could, you could totally not know your, your siblings and all that stuff. Um, and especially if you're in a Shaolin temple, which is mainly male. I don't think there's any females at the, at the Shaolin temple. I think that it might've changed now, but I would assume that there's some type of cultural context as to why that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was I thought it was the only thing in the plot that lined up to give any character motivation. Oh, well, well I guess the, 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 the gambler guy wanted money. I'm assuming that Jim Kelly wanted money, too. Um, but but Bruce Lee wanted revenge, which also anger, not emotion. It was it was counter. He was going to the dark side there. Mm, he was cool as a cucumber. He was cool as a cucumber overall. Until he saw the shoe polish scar guy. So that is um, O'Hara, played by Bob Wall, also RIP, a very well-renowned karate champion, uh, student of Chuck Norris as well, too. And the only man to be hitting the balls by Bruce Lee on three occasions. And die from it? Yeah. How did they kill your character? I got kicked in the nuts. I mean, almost the same thing would happen to Bolo when John Saxon yeah, told him it, right in the seriously right in the, the the way that they kill people in this movie is another reason I thought it was campy as shit. Oh, yeah, I kicked in the nuts. Oh, I just did a dance on your head. Like, what? Two foot? Like, no. Is he going to do a leg drop next? Are they going to play I'm a real American in the background? It's like professional wrestling moves he was doing at the end. Like, Two feet jumping, not even like kicking. What is this little stomp out? Move? Oh my god! So you're gonna make fun of one of the most iconic, basically iconic scenes of Bruce Lee cinema by him stomping the dude out who killed his sister. Well, she committed suicide or honorable suicide, if you will. But um, the guy that yeah. was assaulted by his dad for no reason yet. The, the guy who had dad. the shoe polish scar. The dad gave him the scar. The dad. Oh, the dad did give the scar, didn't he? No, it wasn't the sister. No, the dad had the knife and cut the big guy's face, who then had a shoe polish scar later. It looked like shoe polish. I assume you're open with that shoe polish on your face, my man. I mean, <laughs> I wrote a note. Big guy smells like shoe polish. I don't know about that. I think you're. I think you're just trying to be funny here for funny's sake, but. No, that I mean, looks like shoe polish. But the the jump the jump stomp out thing is comical with a with an eighty five pound man. 
well, with that type of force, I don't know. The force I mean, of gravity? Like if you have it's not it's not the force of well, I mean, do you really want to get scientific on that? Like if you were to drop an 85 pound kettlebell on someone from that height too, at a force going downward, they're gonna have their at the very least have their rib cage shattered. The very least. But he almost didn't he do it like kind of spread legged? He jumped up and forcefully, it's basically a downward kick. A downward kick, which with the force of gravity would be more lethal. And by the way, fun fact, on the set of Enter the Dragon, he did a sidekick. I I don't know if it was the um, shot that they used in the movie. The scene where uh, where he sidekicked O'Hara, Bob Wall's character, into the crowd um, during one of the takes. He kicked him so hard that he, one of the extras broke their arm as he was coming back. So just to give a little bit of uh, not, not even credit to, to Bruce Lee and his martial arts prowess, but yeah, the dude could fucking kick. And just by kicking the shit out of someone, not even at full force and breaking the, the stunt doubles arm in the background was, was kind of comical. But a lot of thing about this movie was comical. I don't know, man. See, I don't. I'm having a tough time being able to discuss this movie with you. I, I, I knew we were getting. As soon as I watched it, I was like, "Oh man, Dan I think really likes this movie, and I think it's really bad." Well, I think that you will see. The thing is, like, there's a difference between when you don't like a movie, you will not give it a chance whatsoever i gave it a chance i watched the whole thing no you didn't you didn't you're you're talking about it right now that you didn't so like i watched that's, the whole that's movie fine. That's i even fine. did research you did you did research to make fun of it that's what i did. did research to understand to understand <laughs> the, the, so, the chub's hand on the on the villain how did he lose his hands i don't know does it matter it meant he had a bear claw hand you don't just cut your hands off and say, I want a bear I've, claw now. I've watched that movie. I don't even know if it's, it's not even my favorite Bruce Lee movie. I've watched that movie at least 50 times and I've never thought about, you know, like I've never been like, oh, I really want to know what happens to his hand. I mean, he apparently he kept it on display, but no idea. Is that what, what that was? Him. The yeah. weird little bone? That was his bones? That's what, that's what he said is a, a souvenir. So yeah, it's just uh his his hand which we don't know what happened to it he was um, such a bond villain though oh yeah i mean there's certainly bond-esque i mean that's the reason why they they had the whole spy you know plot kind of into it but um yeah i mean what, what can you do like it's it's a 70s movie you want it to be action-packed and fun and you know playing to all, all different types of of um ethnicities and, and, and backgrounds so yeah i mean why not make it something that's attractive to those that have seen bond movies and, and bruce lee himself was a big fan of the cool american cinema type of thing like you know that's why you kind of see like his little fighting stance very similar to almost like a boxer and um because he, he just really liked those types of uh, martial arts such as boxing fencing stuff like that he did have the the ali feet yeah 
I think there was loved a... freaking Muhammad Ali. Let's talk about like so. There's another thing too, like with the um the boat scene. I want to talk about the boat scene. Wait, which the, boat scene? The, the one with that poor old man on the little on the little paddle boat who looked like he was gonna die. So, well, so that's another thing, too, is so they in terms of the cinematography of the movie, they gave it like the realistic shot as to like what Hong Kong is like and what the ghetto is like for an African-American. Um, and then also a rich white guy that has a gambling problem that's getting shaken down by gangsters and stuff like, yes, is it convenient? Sure. But you know what? Roper is one of the leads and it's not like it's super focused around him. So I don't need the whole backstory. Williams, I would have liked to know why he went to the island. If he's just fighting for money or something like that, money, glory, whatever it is, or if he just wants to represent his people. Um, I would have liked to know a reason for that for, for Roper. I didn't need a reason. He's a gambler. And he sucks at it and he just needs money. And so he's going to go and fight for money. So, um, but yeah, the boat scene uh, with the bully. So the guy from New Zealand that is just like kicking oranges out of fucking baskets and kicking people down for no reason. What did you think of that character? What did you think of that? Where they threw him in a little boat? Yeah. I thought it was hilarious that Bruce Lee was just like, ha I put you in a little boat. Did you expect- I'm going to let this kid do this. Did you expect him to just like kick the shit out of him? Because I I know I first when I first saw the movie, I was like, he's gonna beat the shit out of this guy, no problem. I don't think so. I thought they'd fight on the island. I I felt that he was gonna be such a participant and so focused on getting to Han that he was, you know, why 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 risk it early? You know, just you can outsmart Bruce Lee's always played the outsmart character not just a fight first character and he went through all the rhetoric about emotion and and all that like he would he would you know kind of play him a little bit as opposed to that i thought that was very or i assumed that that was an in-character move and i thought it was funny it also aligned with the the trope that they were trying to put him in in this calm person who's 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 a, you know he's out there spying like he doesn't want to blow his cover he wants to just like Mm-mm-mm. and let, let you know not 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 own it i i thought it worked i thought it was funny um i i i enjoyed the physics of when they flapped the thing it broke the tension and the boat would sink down and the guy had to sit in the back i was like they really shot that as if it was really happening like i actually appreciated that one scene pretty much pretty pretty well that was one of the things too is like i i think that even just like those little nuances of You know, you've got the racism with Williams. You've got the flat out bullying of people for no fucking reason of it. I like the way that they kind of, you know, obviously Williams beating the shit out of the cops and stealing their car isn't exactly justice. Might be considered street justice, um, but justified nonetheless for that character. Uh, But the, you know, the bully gets what's coming to him and he's embarrassed. And it's nothing ever happens with it. It's not like he comes back onto the boat and beats the shit out of everyone. He ends up just going to the island and then Roper ends up kicking his ass, which is kind of sweet. So just one of those nice things to where it's like those little subtle hints of championing of the underdogs um, or, you know, kind of championing injustice as well, too. That's one of the things that Bruce Lee put in a lot of his movies. And, you know, it's a lot of it was very subtle, but at this, this was probably the most overt um, for, 
for the you know injustice of of some of the minority characters or even just you know characters in general that are um, victims so one one of the other things i want to talk about in terms of just the characters overall so you have that entire list of people roper williams bolo um han is the cheesy bond villain okay i'll give you that um what about bruce lee as lee in enter the dragon what did you think about him and his performance and as a character i thought that he was good he carried the movie he did the he did the the sean connery the the lead character um justice you know he carried it he was consistent he was the most consistent character by far in the film in my opinion and the least campy character i i thought that i i don't remember bruce lee having the accent that he used in this movie he never so that's his real voice this is the only movie that he's ever done um well there might be some like older like um tv movies but he's never used his real voice in any of his larger cinematic releases what did he use in those those were all all english dubbed some other white guy that just talked even like the green hornet green hornet was his real voice okay this the the only my only the only only nit i can pick on this is i thought that the dubbing like he just sounded it sounded like it was i mean it, it, i don't know it sounded almost like a facsimile uh, asian voice like it sounded like the voice you that, that people like make when they make fun of asian folks you know i mean so, that, yeah that's, that's his real voice I, I, and i'm not weird. i'm not trying to be that guy and say that, like you know it just i i i remember interviews and things with him where he had a much more like a little lower timbre voice a much more um his accent came through less yeah well another thing too that to keep in mind that he had been in hong kong for quite a few years prior to shooting this movie as well too so maybe that had something to do with it but i mean he he always had an accent overall yeah but it was um, i just didn't think it was as pronounced and like yeah kind of kind of yeah but that's it like minimal 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 overall like carried the movie that did not take away from the performance it was just something that like you had to get used to early and then you just kind of ignored it did you Um, believe him as uh, like that ass kicker of like did you see him as being a badass like what do you want to fuck with him he's bruce lee He's such a badass that even if his shirt's ripped only a little bit, he's going to take it off and just flex his chest <laughs> the whole rest of the movie. How many right? Bruce Lee movies have you seen? Um, Keep in mind, there's only like four. Yeah, I've seen a couple, and I remember him in the Green Hornet a bunch. Okay. Just curious. So there's... Yeah. Kato, don't um, fuck around. Don't fuck around with Kato. Yeah, Kato was... Kato was that show, because that show fucking sucked ass um bruce lee was like the best part of the dude the crossover with kato and batman are you kidding me yeah so true story um he did not want to lose to robin and so on set he was kind of uh trying to be intimidating to 
to Burt Ward. <laughs> and according to, I can't remember the, the actor's name, um, Van Williams, Van Williams, who played uh, the Green Hornet, according to him in an interview, uh, when he was talking to Adam West, Burt Ward was like shitting his pants that Bruce Lee was just going to go off on him and just and just kick the shit out of him for real on set. So just a funny story about Batman, Robin, and the Green Hornet and Kato. So, but um, any other thoughts on the on the movie at all? Um, I I I want to talk about the the when they really got into Han and the hands thing. I can't let the hands thing go. Okay. I can't let I'm Mr. Barehand Man. Now I'm gonna kill you. Go. I can't. It it just kills me. Um, I loved the mirror scene, but the there was so much inconsistency in it. In what way? I kept counting the slashes. Oh really? I guess I never really paid too much the attention. The bear to the bear hand made three slashes. Oh yeah yeah no the I didn't. Or knife hand. Also made three slashes. Yeah, but it, but there's four blades. But then later the... there's four slashes, and the slashes on his face change direction. Yeah. And there was that's why I looked up the producers. I'm like, who are these guys? These are not these are not big swinging producers. These are some okay. They were Bruce Lee's guys. Like I love that he got his guys to do his movie, and it was the last movie he ever did. But he got he got the 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 sway to get it done this in my opinion is an opening salvo to a career that was cut short it sadly is the close but if you looked at this film as his first big us movie and then he got the opportunity to have a 10 20 year career think how much better they would have gotten look at early jackie chan films that were u.s released they weren't good but could you imagine like uh, bruce lee and eddie murphy doing rush hour like yeah that's how i've classed that's how i view this movie is it's a first attempt at a crossover superstar working with an American crew and an American, and I'm sure behind the scenes, there was so much back and forth over control, more of an exec versus his producer group. And I'm sure there was racism that played in it behind the scenes. Which, by the way, so the only producer was Raymond Chow from Bruce Lee's side. Weintraub and um, whatever the guy's other name. I heard there was a bunch of uncredited producers that were like his posse. But... um, Weintraub was not, he was a big Hollywood mm-hmm. uh, producer, um, very much around like the action genre. But um, yeah, Raymond Chow was the, the main, main name. So it's mm-hmm. one of the things about that movie is like he, it was pretty close to what he had in terms of his vision of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it was one of those, also one of those things too, that this was going to be like, what's going to kick off his uh, and bridging the gap of not just Hollywood and Hong Kong cinema, but also just like Chinese culture and um, even towards, to a certain degree, African-American culture uh, as well too, just to, you know, cause that, that was a springboard for Jim Kelly to make a whole bunch of Kung Fu movies. Um, but yeah, and this isn't by far 
one of the most successful ventures um, to date for Hollywood and Hong Kong joint films. But yeah. Now I, they I just ban Hollywood movies there. What's that? Now they just ban Hollywood movies there. Yeah, right. And, and that's another thing too, is like, it's very, you know, you, I don't think you're ever going to see, you know, some effort like this again. Um, I think there have been a few in the past, you know, you've got a few Jackie Chan movies, but it wasn't as a lot riding on it as to like, oh, this is going to be the big thing for, for Hong Kong and American cinema. Yeah. No. And again, I, I think that I watched it not knowing anything and I just wanted to go into it dry. And I found it, you know, campy and funny in ways that I don't think it was meant to be. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's also, it's very a dated movie. It's a very dated movie. It absolutely so. is. And, and that's fine. I think in the end, if you look at it through the context of the first real attempt at, at that relation and a star that could have absolutely, if, if his health hadn't failed him, risen even more because look at how much he's loved now right still like he is not somebody that faded away yeah um by any means so i i think that again like if you look at it he he could have had a a bigger rise than jackie chan because jackie chan was more comical than anything else um and and bruce lee could have been in in some really you know some really uh roles and i think he could have pulled it off i think it was a good actor like i said he carried the role well um i just thought that you know there were those there's those few things that 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 stuck out to me that were that were funny or that were you know inconsistent in the filming and stuff like that but i look at this as almost like that first shot that first independent movie and we overlook so much with 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 some films or some stars first movies i mean look at star wars it's a bunch of stuff we overlook um so again not shitting on the movie whatsoever um and the fact that they got the flash gordon guy to run it they should have had a better screenwriter um (laughs) so uh if it wasn't for people dying from smash balls and the uh the jump up jump up and stay down move uh you know I, i think that we would have had you know a, a really polished and, and and good movie but um yeah uh i i hate to to beat up movies that you grew up on man i do i have i have respect for it it just it just from the beginning it was a little much for me but i i got to love it by the end so that being said as we wrap up our retro rewinds mark can you do this movie absolutely the dragon not. all day absolutely not i i I think that it is something that, that, you know, you could rewatch to talk about or rewatch to watch, but it does, it just doesn't hit me in that manner, which I think is really funny because Rocky Horror does, but this doesn't. Um, and it just proves that, that all genres of movies have different effects on everybody. It sounds like you can do this movie all day. Funny enough, um, I cannot do this movie all day. So the reason why I picked this movie is because as a whole, this is the most um, critically, well, I don't know, critically acclaimed, but uh, box office successful movie in terms of Bruce Lee. And, you know, obviously because it was an American movie, so it was just fucking gigantic. Uh, But I cannot do this movie all day. The reasoning as to why is because there's other movies of his that I enjoy 
a whole lot more that I've seen a whole lot more. I do like this movie. Um, I just don't think it's his best. And I do believe that from the supporting cast, from John Saxon and Jim Kelly, uh, I, I really love their characters and what they add. Um, that is something that some of the other Bruce Lee movies do not have is a stronger um, supporting character. And so I, I was really down with that. But overall, uh, you know, great fight scenes, great action. You know, we didn't really talk much about the action overall, but it's one of those things where I, I enjoy it. But at the same time, um, I don't consider this to be the best Bruce Lee movie. And there are some flaws. There is, uh, you know, obviously some holes in the script, consistencies, things like that. But um, I really do like the movie. Just can't do it all day. That's shocking. Yeah, you would think I that I would it. take. I did. I did. I thought that you would. I thought that it, in all of our time podcasting, I was so excited to because because uh, um, uh, spoilers for 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 the uh, the people that are still listening um, that haven't turned this off um, yet. Uh, it, we we gave each other a few options of movies. And I picked this because I'm like, I cannot not let <laughs> Danny talk about a Bruce Lee movie. It would be a complete disservice. So now to hear that, 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 that you have, you know, some lack of all dayness on this is, is shocking, but it just proves that you don't like anything. <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, overall, I think when it comes to the movies that we pick and the movies that we watch, you know, Rocky Horror was a movie that I didn't necessarily have the urge to watch, but I wanted to watch it just because I know there's a huge fan base on it. Uh, in regards to Enter the Dragon, you know, it's it's a worldwide base that, that really loves this movie. And um, there are people that are even more fanatical about this movie than I am. And you know what? hats off to you it's i i enjoy the fact that other people enjoy movies very very much and um yeah it's one of the nice things uh, about doing this podcast is getting a chance to revisit but also in my case for rocky horror uh get a chance to watch a movie that i've never seen before and just get that different perspective as to oh there's other movies out there and there's other types of genres and, and other tastes and interests that, that people like. And uh, it, I'm appreciative to get a little bit of a taste of that. That's why I loved the idea of the retro rewind and your choice of this movie, because I hadn't seen it. Turns out I thought I saw part, but I've never seen it. And um, yeah, no, being able to really understand why or, possibly even still question why uh it's so loved um you know i can now say that i have um entered the dragon and left pretty quickly <laughs> well on that note thanks everyone for tuning in uh, we will be back next week with another retro rewind but we will have that as a nice little surprise for you all but until then i'm dan the part-time adventure that's Mark, the resident Jedi. Like, subscribe, suggest movies for future rewinds. Uh, we, we would love to hear from y'all. Uh, tell us that we know what we're talking about. Tell us that I'm an idiot for not loving and absolutely just, just worshiping Ender the Dragon. 
Um, but we appreciate all you that are, that take the time to, to, to hang with us through this whole thing and like subscribe, tell your friends, share, put it in your Instagram, tweet, do the thing. We'll see y'all next time.